Welcome to Unsalted Dry Roasted. So, welcome. Hello. You gonna tell them? Tell them what? <laughs> Are you gonna tell them, Link? <laughs> Link? <laughs> About me being on magic mushrooms right now? Is that what you're looking yeah. at? Yeah. I only took half a gram and a little Belgian chocolate. I feel great. There's nothing morphing on the walls or anything. All is well. Everything's just a little more vibrant than it normally might be. So what should we talk about? Photographs. <laughs> and why you should look at photographs of yourself as a child. Because we've been doing a lot of that lately. It's Christmas season, so we've got all kinds of photo albums open. And we're making photo albums. There's a lot going on. So we've seen a lot of photos of, like, ourselves as children and stuff. Yep. And aside from just, like, the memories that come up when you look at, like, this photograph right here. I bet you didn't notice, but that's, what is that? That's one of those, uh... <clears throat> top. No. Those candy rings. Oh, ring Mem pop. Ring pop. It's a ring pop. Remember that shit from the 90s? Ring Pops? Oh, yeah. Right? You don't need to remind me about Ring That's Pops. That's probably why I look like I'm losing my mind. Five I'm at a time. <laughs> jacked on. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. You ripped on sugar right there. Mm-hmm. I wasn't allowed. I would have. I was allowed, whatever. But I think it's important that you look at photos of yourself when you're a kid. That's like a... Like I say, not just for the memories, but for like the... The feel. Well, you remember when you were a kid and all you were was like this little bundle of potential. Right? I think it's healthy to look back and remember that. Because you still have that as an adult. You know, so, like, so many people reach adulthood and they're just like, Okay, this is fucking it, eh? I'm just here now. And they just live like these rambling, uninspired lives. Yeah, or you can just get into that mindset for a while sometimes. Yeah, like that's how you feel. Like we've all felt that, you know. And so I like looking at old pictures. I'm just like, oh man. Do you remember when your personality started to flourish? And you started to bloom as a person, you know. And if you had good guidance then people saw you bloom and they're like okay here try this and here try that i think for me it was when i started selling cheese that you were an adult what do you mean <laughs> yeah but i was a really shy individual mm. when you said bloomed like your personality blooms that's what i thought of because all of a sudden i was forced into this situation where i had to encourage people to buy certain things 
mm-hmm. and they were all delicious, so it wasn't that hard. Right. How old were you? I don't know, 21, maybe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But your personality bloomed when you were much younger, just inside. Right? That's where all, like, all the potential, like, just, it might not be bubbling out of you yet because you don't really know how to maybe use it in front of other people, but it's there when you're a little kid. Well, yeah. You know, and I think you can see that when you look in photographs of yourself, right? And yeah, it makes me wonder, like, some people don't want to see photographs of themselves, and it's like, don't show me that. <laughs> because it's too painful to look at what they have come so far from. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's depressing. Yeah. <laughs> Which it can be. Trust I mean, me. Doing an explosion of mine. A really heavy rock falling on somebody. This is a good sound effect. It's heavy load. It's heavy load. Because you, you, like, you think you can... You might actually think you can be anything when you're a little kid. Which you can't. But that's okay. You still gotta... You can still use what you have and bloom from there, right? I think I have too much little kid energy sometimes. Because kids are scattered, right? Because of that. They're like, I could do this, I could do that, I could do this, I could do that. Yeah. I'm like that sometimes. Just on any given Tuesday. <laughs> That's true. You do get little kid energy. I'm like, oh, all strings of popcorn, mm-hmm. for instance. <laughs> yes. Right now, I have five projects on the go. That's true. That does happen with you. Pros and cons. <laughs> to having little kid energy? Yeah. <laughs> yep. What do you think about when you look at pictures of yourself? Just the joy, really. The innocent joy that I had. Yeah, that's another thing, yeah. There's just like a... The child is joy without the weight. Yeah, it's like I still have the joy, but it's... There's just more on it now. It's textured. <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> adult, onion joy. <laughs> yeah, adult joy is layered. <laughs> and sometimes it takes time and substances to peel the layers off to get to that childish joy. Right? Which is one of the one of the things that's awesome about having a little kid, she just has that. Yeah, that's why, yeah. And you got to just like ride that wave because she's right there and she's stoked about everything unless she's mad about everything because it goes both ways. It could go either way. But that's something most parents, I think, like about <coughs> having a baby, even though it's hard work. Most parents, I'd say, would be like, oh, yeah. that child energy. Yeah. My My traditional Chinese medicine teacher one time described it as yang. You know, there's the yin and yang. Yes. So kids are yang. All kids are yang. Because yang's so heavy and uh, extreme. <laughs> Is that what that and means? all kids, 
well, there's just it's vast. It's that yeah, there's a lot of don't make me get into yin yang. <laughs> it's vast, but it was just a cool thing to hear because I'd never thought about it that way. And people that do Chinese medicine when they treat kids, they're looking at it from that angle, amongst other things. But it's like kid kid energy is epic. <laughs> Is Yang. Yeah. Okay. I don't get it, though. What does that mean? I want to know more. Well, you have to kind of study. You have to study it more. I can't remember everything. But Yang's kind of like heavy, intense, uh, shifting. And that's how a kid is. Like, they feel everything so intensely. One minute they're super happy, the next minute they've turned over and they're chaos viciously upset yeah so they're the chaos side because i've heard yin and yang described as chaos and order uh i don't know i don't want to say anything that that what let's let's have a look it's erroneous yin and yang are just there's so much there's so much to it no i know whoa what the hell <laughs> why are we getting phil collins all of a sudden <laughs> whoa I love Phil Collins, and you hate Phil Collins, yeah, so the fact that he's on that, your phone. I don't know how that happened. We don't need that. It's just another day for you and me in paradise. Okay, so this is just a quick Wikipedia thing, right? <laughs> <coughs> but in ancient Chinese philosophy, yin and yang is the dark and the bright, the negative and the positive. So the dualism of existence. It doesn't even touch the surface. Well, of course, because it's <laughs> a broad cultural theory, right? So, of course, there's more to it. But just generally speaking, that's, you know, just in a quick, brief sense to give us an idea, right? Mm -hmm. And, I mean, you see that when you look at photos of yourself as a kid. You see both of that, right? You see all the dark and all the bright. Because you might see all the ugly things that happened to you as a kid too, right? And like you don't want to face those things because they scarred you. But at the same time, there's like this little ray of hope just in the fact that you're alive. And all your little hopes and dreams, some of those can actually turn into something. Yeah. Right? Like you can't have all of them, but some of them, right? And that's worth it. So there's a lot of... I guess you could call yin and yang in that. The dark side and the light side. I had such an innocent childhood until I was like 13. What do you mean by innocent? Just innocent, uh, uneventful in the way of dramatic experiences. Just like, we just played all the time, went to school, hung out with my best friend. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Had good meals, went to church, whatever. Right. It was bright and shiny it childhood. It was so great. Yeah. I remember like flopping on my bed and being like, ah, I love my life. Wow. Yeah. Like I was so content. Did you ever get bullied? No. Hmm. No. Someone so bullied like my mom once verbally to me and I it like it made me so upset. I ran home. Mm -hmm. That's like the one time. Right. They called her a snail. 
So everything was like smooth sailing until your dad got cancer? Yeah. Is that how that feels to you now? You look back? Yeah. And he, when did he get cancer? When you were like 12? Like it took a couple of years before he passed away? Because you were 14, right? When he died? I think so. Yeah, well, he had it like, I think he had it a year before I even knew because they didn't tell me. Oh, yeah. They withheld it from me for a while. Mm-hmm. To see. I don't know how long, though, actually. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I was probably like 13 when I found out. Yeah. How did that feel? Uh, it was this whole thing. He took us out to Red Robins. Red by Robin. our house. Yeah, we, we used to go every Sunday. What was, like, what's Red Robin again? A little, that was Red like Robins. Donut shop. They have like, no, Red Robins is the best family <laughs> restaurant of all time. I'm pretty sure it's an American chain. There, there might be like a few scattered over Canada, but they're almost all gone, I think. Anyway, okay, they, okay. they give you like the thick wedge cut fries. Right. Anyway. We'd go every Sunday, and my dad, we'd walk in, and my dad would be like, five, non-smoking. So anyways, he takes us to a table. I can't remember if my younger brother was there or not, but he sits us down without my mom. My mom wasn't there. Weird. And he was just like, so I have this cancer, but I don't want you guys to worry. I'm going to beat it, and it's just a little blip and just kind of went on and all I remember is just like darkness and just feeling like stone like yeah. I just felt like concrete stone in blackness <laughs> so I felt I specifically remember like whatever he said faded away after that and I was just like I couldn't move my body yeah and it's such a dramatic age like I'm just becoming a teen. Yeah, everything's so already everything I severe. knew about cancer was probably so scary. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, did he tell frozen. you? Did he tell you how severe it was? No. Just that he had cancer. Yeah. Yeah. That feeling was like one of a kind. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> that's like. Uh, <clears throat> Sounds in, like a movie, right? It, well, in the movies, you know, when somebody gets really bad news. Yes, it gets and, black. And, like, the background goes That's black. what happened to me. I swear to God. It's like I came, it, I went inside myself and yeah. just, like, became stone. Mm-hmm. And I was just observing, but there was nothing around me, and I couldn't see anything. I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't move. It was a really bizarre experience. Whoa. Yeah, that's intense. That's the kind of thing that will stay with you. Mm-hmm. And then it was like a year after that that he passed away. I think so. I'm bad with timelines. Wow, and it's but hard it was when fast. you're that young. I, I can't remember those sorts of things either. It was definitely fast. Mm-hmm. Earlier than we thought. <clears throat> yeah. And then... What was it like after that? Chaos? Or was your life still... I don't really remember. Like your teenage years after that? Like after he died? Yeah. Just like a 
strange blur for a while. Yeah. <laughs> until I just, high school. I dyed my hair black, jet black. It was like down to my belly button. Still had my hardcore bangs. Yeah. Straight cut all the way down to my eyebrows. Mm-hmm. Past. This is an interesting look. And then... <laughs> uh, I was just feeling my way through the world. Yeah. It's a strange... I didn't, I didn't, like, I didn't do any drugs. You know what I did? I did... I delved into school. Yeah. Like, I delved into school. I would just do math for, like, three hours. I'd go home and do math, and I'd, like, pull my head away from the page and realize that it had been, like, two centimeters from the page for four hours. Oh, my God. Yeah, I was bad. <laughs> And everyone's like, oh, she's okay. She's getting great grades. She's doing great in school. Yeah. <laughs> it's like all you can think about. I just kind of focus on it. But whatever. I mean, there's way worse things to get into, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you need That's to focus. Right. Yeah. You have to. That's right, I channel. That's one of the ways that you cope. And that's such a strange age to deal with death because it's like, <clears throat> I think when you're around 12 or 13, is when you really understand like the severity of it like the weight of death and its inevitability and that when someone's gone they're not coming back right Mm -hmm. because when you're younger than that i don't know if that reality is quite there but once you're a teenager man there's a lot of those kind of like adult realizations that are there i think for me it was just a lot of uh obstinance like i was so stubborn to even address it because i was trying so hard to uh, be a certain way that i didn't want to even express my emotions in that regard Mm -hmm. so i added like a long time to my healing process because i just shut it out like, I watched people around me break down, and I was like, fuck that, I'm not doing that, I'm fine. <laughs> it's like, I thought that's what I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So it took me forever to break down my own barriers, because I didn't really know what I was supposed to be doing. And I just wanted to be fine. So I'd go to school, and I would, everyone would like, console me, and I'd be like, I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean... But you were. Like, what are you supposed to do? Like, first of all, it takes a long time to heal from something that traumatic. And yes, somebody maybe could have guided you. I mean, better, but like, what else are you supposed to do? The day he died, I broke down in my room and cried and didn't leave. Yeah. I didn't leave the room for 24 hours. And my best friend came over and sat with me. Yeah. So I did, like... I didn't just bottle everything up that intensely. But over time, I just didn't want to address anything about it. I just wanted yeah. to move on with my life. Which probably a lot of kids would do. Or the complete opposite. Like, just break down. cannot move on at all. Yeah. Right? I've seen that. Right? Instead of, like, shunning those emotions, you just live in them. Yeah. And they become your prison. Yeah. That's another way. Right? So, really depends on the person. Depends on the person. Like, neither are good. 
Yeah, either but way, you're still dealing with shit. You know, if you if you're the type to put the motions aside, then you still function. But eventually, it'll come crashing mm-hmm. through the windows of your mind, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know. So at some at some point, you have to confront all of that, which is you know that's why I. I talk about it all the time and I'm such a proponent for confronting all the shadows in your mind. Mm. Which is probably why I like looking at old photographs. Right? <laughs> Cuz you see the photograph and whenever it was photographed, but you also see all of the time that was there. Yeah, totally. Like there's fathoms it's just the depth is fathoms yeah is that the wrong word I'm pretty sure when you fathom something it's I cannot fathom it It means you just can't believe it at all that's my interpretation of fathom Check this out. A fathom is a unit of length in the imperial and U.S. customary system equal to six feet. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Oh, it's a fathom, fuck? please. That's, I didn't expect that. <laughs> but yeah, you're also right. I couldn't fathom it. So yeah, that was a strange use usage on my part. What were you trying to say? Phantoms? <laughs> I don't know. I just mean that there's there's so much behind the photograph. It's one way of confronting it all. Right? Yeah. You see yourself in a different time and place. Seems valuable to me. That's interesting, that's for sure. Right? You know, it can be an inspiration too. Right? You can be like, you know what, man? Like, I was this little kid full of potential once. Like, why can't I use some of that for whatever? Everybody's got some inspiration they want to chase, right? Yeah, we Unless they've it. totally just numbed themselves to the bone. There's something you want. There's something you desire. There's something you want to do better. There's some way. Mm-hmm. There's some goal. There's something you're after. And you can find inspiration in old photographs. And you're like, yeah. I need to stop being a fat fuck and go for a run. Dude, I just thought of, look at this photograph. <laughs> That's disgusting. Thanks for fucking ruining that moment for me. <laughs> fuck off. That's one of the worst songs of all time. The worst song in history. I'm fucking horrible. You remember the music video? It's so funny. Uh, I don't know. Fuck. I don't know if I ever actually saw that. He holds up a photograph to the camera and then sings that line. <laughs> he wants you to look at the photograph. Yeah, I fucking. That's the only part of the video I ever saw because I turned the TV off after that. Click. So thanks for. I do. I was probably on a good. I was probably gonna like 
open up some magnificent line of talk there, and then you threw this <laughs> nickelback nonsense at me and just ruined it. I need you to suffer when I suffer. This is horrible. <laughs> what? <laughs> Nothing. I could be silent all night. <laughs> you know what I do remember? It's like one of the only photographs I have of... Well, that I have of my dad when he was really sick. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I think we were at Heritage Park or something for the 12 days of Christmas. And it was just like... I think it was Heritage Park back in the day, way before how it is now. Yeah. In the 90s. And it was just like vendors selling their stuff and they made it especially Christmassy. Yeah, and you could do the sleigh, sleigh ride. rides yeah. with the horse and all that. It wasn't yeah. snowing or anything. But we have this photo of me and my little brother who was like six, seven, six, seven. <laughs> and um, we're just standing there at Heritage Park by a lamppost. And my dad looks so gaunt. Yeah. Just like so gaunt. Because he had already done chemo at that point, I think. Yeah. And it's just like, you just look at it, and it's like, ugh. It just makes you feel sick. Yeah. Chemo's brutal, man. I mean, cancer is brutal. Chemo's but to have to go brutal. through chemo, it's like, man, that's the solution? Like, that's the best we have? Yeah, I have, I have mixed fuck, feelings man. about that. I don't know. If I had to decide if I needed that, it, that would be a hard decision. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd be doing it for myself. I'd be doing it for others, I think, if I did do it. Like, I I don't see the... I don't see an extreme benefit in killing most of the inside of your body to try and survive. I just don't. It just yeah. seems so wrong to me. But I understand why people do it. And I understand... Yeah, well, so, I mean, it can work, though, too, right? And some, there are plenty of people that can go on and. It's very situational, right? Mm hmm. To some people, the cancer comes back. For some people, it doesn't. Mm hmm. Right? For some people, chemo actually saves their lives. Right? Yeah. But yeah, that's a tough one, man. Like, you gotta just, like, radiation poison yourself to try to kill the thing that's eating you alive. Yeah. <laughs> like it doesn't make fucking... sense to me. It's so weird. It does and it doesn't, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we don't really... It's, like, in there eating you alive. Radiation will kill both of you, sort of. Yeah. But, I mean, it didn't work for your dad. But he quit too, right? He stopped doing chemotherapy and stuff? I don't really know. 
I can't recall. Like, he went to Germany for some special herbal treatments first. Yeah. And was drinking this, like, black sludge mm-hmm. for a while. And I just think they caught it too late in general. Yeah. It was, like, stage three or four or something already. I, yeah, like, they found it, and then it just surged right yeah. away after. So, I don't know how much chemo he actually did. I never really saw, because at that time he was living somewhere else, I think. So I never actually saw him, like, throwing up or suffering from the treatment. Yeah. (coughs) Maybe good, maybe bad. That would have been fucking pretty horrible to see as, like, a 13-year-old. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that would have done for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's weird to, like, look at your parents in all the, like, from photographs, like, you can see, like, their lifespan in, like, this physical form. Yeah, it it makes you feel so finite. And you see... Them as teenagers, and then you see them as like young parents, you know. And, and in my case, like I saw how sick my mom got over the years, and like, right, how bad her liver disease got in the end. Like, just the difference between some of the pictures we were looking at today when she's like 25, and then other pictures of her at 49 and like dying. Yeah, it really blows my mind because I saw her like that first. Yeah, that's how you met her. And then And then I see these photos and I'm like, holy fuck. Yeah. It's a totally different person. Yeah. Yeah, that was crazy. That was pretty interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. It's like the shit you see on those fucking addiction TV shows, man. You know, where they'll like show you a picture of like this young, beautiful woman. And then they show you like a picture of her like... In the throes of her worst addiction, right? That was my mom. Yeah. No word of a lie. Right? That was severe. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, it's like that... Sure, those things can make you... What did you say? Finite? Realize how yeah. small everything is, but... Yeah, and like how, yeah, how you're, how you are (laughs) very finite. Yeah. As a person. Mm Mm-hmm. Especially when you look a lot like someone. (laughs) Like I see photos of my mom. Yeah. Over time, and now she was, like when she was like 20, and I'm like, whoa, holy fuck. (laughs) Yeah. Uh Oh. That's a bad, that's a bad place to stop, though, with your thoughts, right? It's like, okay. Because I think most people realize how vast everything is when they're young adults. Yeah. But you have to step past that. It's like, yes, everything is vast. Right? But you're still... capable of shifting your life and the lives of people around you. Right? Like, we're still here mm-hmm. and we can still change what's here. And that's actually incredible. 
right? Because if you were vast enough to say be the size of the universe or something like that how would you ever do anything <laughs> couldn't well you couldn't right and so there's like a weird blessing in that is that where you're here and you have an opportunity to do something with that Mm-hmm. do you have a like a specific memory of when you were in that time in your life and you realized how vast everything was or you just felt like everything was so vast like as a teen or an early 20s time span probably a couple of different times um but i'd say the most intense was probably when I started playing around with psychedelics in high school and I was a musician and I was just that's what me and my friends did right so mushrooms mushrooms marijuana and you know so we do those things and whatever put on a Pink Floyd record or something and you end up talking <laughs> about you know the size of the universe and things like this right when all that's really like the severity of that dawns on you when you're like a teenager. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I remember having those conversations with my friends then as a late teen. Um, but I also remember deciding that despite all that, that life was still worth living. Because to me, it's like, man... there's kind of two roads there and I know that's a little stark a little cut and dry but it's like no yeah some people are just like suicide or live point? or do the best yeah one or the other do the best with what you got or suicide that's how that felt to me even then mm -hmm. right and you know I've had my own struggles but for the most part I've tried to move forward with whatever I have right and that's actually one of the things that taking psilocybin taught me when I was that age is that no like you go on anyway and you do the best with what you have because you've been given this time and maybe in part I also learned that from my religious teachings as a kid right as much as i sort of shunned that community and i don't go to church and i don't practice there's still that religious teaching of like there is purpose in life right and you go on anyway mm -hmm. and you've been given this time and your time here is a gift and it's also a test like that's what i was taught as a child Whoa. Right? Your time here is a gift and a test. And so what are you going to do with it? And from 
their perspective. It, it affects your afterlife. Mm-hmm. And I've always had mixed feelings about that, but it's like y- your life is like a a stone dropped into a pond, something like this. And there's rippling effects. Now, do you want those rippling effects to be positive or do you want them to be negative? And again, that's kind of puts the complications aside, but you still have to go on with that purpose in mind because, I mean, you can see the consequences of somebody living their life where everything that ripples out from them is negative. Right? It's like, Jesus Christ, man, you just want to like shake those people and be like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, and their a typical answer is like, who cares, man? None of this fucking matters anyway. It's like, well, fuck you. It does matter. That's such an interesting thing, hey? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I ever really delved into that when I was a, a young person. I was just surrounded by so much love that I was always just like... I don't know. What's my purpose? I'll just do good. I'm just going to go do good. And I just would, like, there was nothing super specific about it. I was just surrounded by so much love and had experienced so much good love. From your family. That I just, yeah, went out and exuded it. And that was what I did. Mm -hmm. And that was enough for so long. Yeah. Well, that is purpose, though, too, right? There's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. I got that too from my family. It's like positivity in the face of the terrible things, you know? Yeah. But your extremity is just so interesting. Because I never even thought about it. Like, that never even crossed my mind. It's like, do really good or die. (laughs) 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 It's hardcore. It never even entered my mind. Yeah. I don't think at that time. Well, I mean, it was probably part of my line of thought because like when I was eight years old, my mom yeah. told me that my dad committed suicide. So maybe, right. maybe that's one of the reasons that I have a cut and dry way of making decisions. Perhaps it goes back to that because it's like live or... Or die by your own hand. Yeah. Yeah. Is the way that I saw his choice and he chose to opt out. That makes total sense to me. As a kid, you're like, well, what did he do? Oh, that's what he did. Why did he do that? And then mm -hmm. you go through the motions of why. Yeah. So then that's your like train of thought. Yeah. Like that, his decision colored all of my considerations. Oh my Especially God, as a teenager. Did you realize what you just said? <laughs> His decisions colored all of my considerations. That was beautiful. <laughs> we should write that down. That's a beautiful phrase. This came out of the ether. Right? But, like, I distinctly remember the severity of that, like, just almost haunting me as a teenager. Because that's maybe when, like, it was just always there. 
And I remember being like, man, like, why is that? Why was that your choice? Like, you just were not worth it? Mm -hmm. That's how that felt. Now, obviously, I've learned a lot about mental health and the way that many layers of your life can affect your ability to cope. Mm -hmm. I understand that. And... Um, but still. And then, you know, there's self-worth too. Maybe you thought he wasn't good enough for you guys. It probably did feel like that, you know, and he was a drug addict and he was a heavy drinker. And I think there was also, you know, he was a football player in high school and it never fucking went anywhere for him. Like he just like his life probably didn't turn out the way that he wanted it to and then you know he was abusive to my mother and she took us and left me and my sister physically? yeah we lived in the states and she took me and my sister and went to Canada went to a different country left him there it was pretty hardcore now, I don't know all of the details, but, you know, my grandparents were up here in Canada. Mm-hmm. And so she came up here to live with them. And he came up for one visit and then went back down and then ended his life. Right? So So your mom didn't see him. He just went and did it. Mm-hmm. Like nobody saw him. She got a call or something? I don't know. I don't know. Some things I never asked questions about, you know. Yeah. But anyway, where kind of where I was with that is like that's the knowledge of that decision stays with you and so maybe that's kind of where that part of my personality really came from do it or don't do it yeah 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 and i've never attempted suicide and i've never even like come close to having the thoughts push my actions and but I think it could have it would have gone there had I kept drinking because you know when you're like late teens early 20s and it's like everybody drinks way too much it's accepted all is well whatever but the truth is that I was an alcoholic then But you could mask it in just being young. Yeah. Like, would you black out? Oh, yeah. And I was violent. Yeah. I'd get drunk and I was violent. Yeah. I was a shitty person. And so eventually I I got away from that. And I I think when I... Well, that's another weird one. So when my stepfather died when I was 22, I got clean. I stopped drinking. 
for a whole year. Didn't touch nothing. And that was when he died, actually, that I decided to do that. Really? I don't know if I knew that. Because mm-hmm. I was terrified that I would use the alcohol to cope with his death. Wow. And so I didn't. And I just... Yeah. And so I quit. Alcohol and weed. I didn't do anything for a whole year. And then I came back to both and had a few, I had a bit more struggle with alcohol over the years after that, mid 20s kind of thing, but never as severe. And then when I was like 26, 27, like I don't, uh, you know, maybe five, six years ago, it's like I will not have more than a couple of drinks. Mm-hmm. I stop. And I learned to control myself with that, which, and I, to this day, I just consider myself an alcoholic. Like, that's my switch. So I don't, there's no playing around. Mm. It's like, no, two drinks, I'm done. Yeah, but yeah, so that self-control, I think a true alcoholic, it's a strange term, but like somebody that suffers from, from alcoholism wouldn't wouldn't be able to do that. Right? Okay, but that's a different stage and I guess, yeah. you know what I mean yeah like I consider myself an alcoholic but I don't have yeah it hasn't become a disease yeah. and that is one way that you can view alcoholic behavior is once it has you know my mom used to say like it's a disease like well your mom used to say that she used to say that it's a disease I can't stop in regards to herself. Yes. Oh, okay. And I always thought that was bullshit. Like, that infuriated me because at that time, I, it was a choice. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a good thing and a bad thing with that because it was that fury that led me to stop. I was like, no, this is a choice. You can stop. I'll show See, you. See, watch. Yeah, yeah. Fucking yeah. watch me. Yeah. And so I didn't become a drunk. Fuck, isn't that weird that, like, maybe that pushed you? Like, what if that situation wasn't that way and then you kept drinking? Mm-hmm. It's possible that... Have you ever that, thought about that? Yes, many times. It's possible that had she not suffered, I would have. Yeah. Right? That's crazy. Because I'm definitely prone to... Like, I could easily be a drunk. I can drink every day. Be a blast. Right? Except for your gout. Yeah, it'd be brutal. My health would <laughs> fall apart. Right? You know, and... But also, I knew that following that route, and because I was so violent, would probably end in suicide. That if I was to be an alcoholic and continue to drink, then yeah, I'd probably end up like my dad. Right? Mm-hmm. Just like I've had that clarity of thought that that's my future if I choose alcohol. It's just like a flash in the mind. It's like, this is where you'll be in 15 years if you keep drinking. 
you know and i've kind of always had those sort of stark realizations myself like just nope can't do that you know well thank god so yeah i mean i have thought about that right it's like watching her go through that it was like a brutal lesson for myself unfortunately you know but where where was i with the um oh the disease part of it it's like yeah because it does it does become a disease to the point where you've built a monster inside your brain and so that's the point where you've backed yourself into a corner and it's like your choices got there got you there and but once you're there choice is much harder at that point and that's the frightening part yeah and that's the part that i understand more acutely now right is the depth of that and the depression that come can come with that sort of addiction and probably the way that my dad felt when he committed suicide like the ultimate low and feeling useless and that it's never going to get better so you might as well just end it like the things that can occur in someone's life to bring them to that point like I have a much more acute understanding of what that means and I have sympathy for that I do but man still you got to you got to choose otherwise. It's crazy too because if you hadn't have been through that and then when we met and we wouldn't have had that similar understanding of alcoholism mm-hmm. or experience because I was with a severe alcoholic before I met yeah. Dylan. <laughs> People. <laughs> we wouldn't have. I don't think it would have gone as well. Yeah, I mean, you never know, right? Because it was one of the things that we connected on. And also one of the things that we clashed about. Because you had a really hard time leaving Mm -hmm. that person. And... Yes, but that aside, just alcoholism. Mm -hmm. Just being a witness and, you know, just experiencing it so close. If you've never lived with an addict, then you don't really know what that emotional torture is like. And I had never really spoken to anyone about it Mm. either. Like, I remember you saying some things and me just being like, yes, you know, and you're just like, yes, yeah. Oh my God. How do you know that? <laughs> yeah. It's just like more of an eye opener than anything, but yeah. Well, yeah, it's like you get people in a room that have lived with alcoholics, like <laughs> they're going to talk about like they know. Yeah. Even though we're talking about unique people, alcohol is a demon in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And so, regardless of the person, if they're an alcoholic, they're going to show, like, similar signs of their demons. Yeah. 
And no. I mean, you know, different situations because it was your mother. And I could leave. And the person I was with, I didn't feel like I could, but wasn't like bound to him, you know? Yeah. I felt that way, but I, I you know, wasn't, it wasn't my parent. Mm-hmm. However, losing my parent kind of made me such a super attached yeah. individual that that ended up its own thing. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that was one of the sad parts about my relationship with my mother is that I did walk away for multiple Yeah. It was always a cycle. But sometimes I wouldn't talk to her for like 6 months. Yeah. Because it was just everything was a guilt-ridden misery trip. And, you know, looking back, I always kind of batter myself around because it's like, well, why couldn't you be strong enough to pull her out of that? Why couldn't you be what she needed? And this is where, this is a very dark part about addiction because... If someone is not willing to help themselves, you cannot help them. Yeah, you can't. But where does that person get the inspiration to want to help themselves? Yeah. Because when that demon has you in its clutches, perhaps you can't find the inspiration on your own. Mm-hmm. And so... Therein lies the darkness. That's a horrible thing. Perhaps it's worth to some degree to endure endure the misery to try and inspire them. And that's when I start to remember all the things that I did do. Like I used to write my mom letters when I was a teenager. And, you know, whenever she would kind of come around, which usually would go like this, it'd be like, she'd be on a tear for a while and then she'd end up in the hospital and we'd always go. Like a drinking tear. Yeah. And we'd all, she'd end up in the hospital and we'd always go and we'd be there for her and we'd take her home the hospital like to get her stomach pumped or what like why would she end up in the hospital she would drink and starve herself nearly to death okay to the point where she would need um blood infusions and they'd put her on like mineral drips nutrition drips things like that to bring her vitality back and she also had a um oh what's it called pancreatitis mm-hmm. so she because you can really damage your pancreas by drinking mm. and um, she also had hyperthyroid and so her body would go into these like just like epic failures so she'd have to go to the hospital to get blood and, and nutrients in her Whoa. because she was dying and so we'd go to the hospital and they'd fix her up, patch her up for a couple of days, send her home, and she'd be, like, sort of sober for a while. 
and so we'd have we'd go see her every Sunday a couple times a week right and then so things would be like good for a while every time things were good for a while we'd come back and then she'd start pushing us away again and start drinking and things would get fucking brutal again Mm-hmm. And it always turned into everything was our fault. Yeah. And that's where it sort of, for us, turned into, like, we we couldn't even be around her. Because everything was, that was the misery of it, is that was all, it was all our fault. Yeah. Like, that's, that's what the alcohol turned her into, was blaming her kids for all of her, all of her, her whole nightmarish life. Like she specifically, she specifically told me that she would call me and tell me that. Right. So that's kind of where that would get to. And I'd be like, all right. And we wouldn't, wouldn't talk to her for a long period of time. And I can tell you, like, I'm pretty sure that cycle must have happened hundred times yeah right right up until her death a couple years ago that was the cycle for like 10 years that's insane for 10 years multiple times a year she was in the hospital and that was the life that we led Mm -hmm. was like following these whirlwinds you know and that's what you deal with those are the monsters that you deal with with addiction you know and so when I look back it's like I I wish I could have done more but I also see why I didn't I see both sides of it yeah you have to make boundaries yeah and so you know for anyone out there dealing with people that are addicts like you you need space so that you can realize that and like the emotional torment is horrible And when do you ask yourself, when do you tell yourself that you can't be that spark of inspiration anymore? It can't come from you. And I think that's the point where eventually in one of my older sisters came to, you know, it's like, I clearly, I'm not, if I'm not going to be that spark of inspiration, then where are you going to get it? If not in your kids. Yeah. Because we all we did always try to be there for her. You know? And we made our mistakes, absolutely. You know, I remember times when I was not. When I could have been much better. And I wasn't. And those are the sorts of things that'll fucking haunt you, for sure. Yeah, but it's a good point. It's like, she birthed you. You're her child. If she can't get inspiration from you guys, yeah, where is she where gonna get it? where is it going to come from? Well, she never found it, right? So, and you know, she had a like she had a history of drug abuse too. Like she was doing cocaine when she was a teenager, mm-hmm. right? And you know, while I am a proponent of legalizing drugs it's like you got you shouldn't be doing any of that shit when you're a teenager because of the emotional 
dysregulation that can occur by introducing too many substances when you're so young. Yeah, there's so much hormonal like nonsense you, going on. Right, and you just, like, the, the damage that can be done from doing that sort of thing too young, you know. Like, it's one thing to try cocaine when you're 30 for the first time, and it's a whole different thing to be doing cocaine when you're 16. Mm-hmm. It's too much, and it's a very bad idea. And that's what she was doing. And one of the reasons she was doing that is because when she was a kid, everything was abstinence. Yeah. Right? Like, no, you should find everything you need in the Lord. Mm-hmm. Like, what? I'm sorry, that doesn't work. I mean, maybe for some people, whatever. In this case, it didn't. And then you end up with kids fucking around with sex and drugs and they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. They don't understand the depth of their decisions because they're being taught abstinence only. And nobody's teaching them what these things are. So they say, figure, well, fuck it. I'm just going to do it. What's the harm? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess that's, you know, it's all about education as far as I'm concerned. You know, which is something that I want to teach our kids, right? And look, when I was a kid, my mom taught me everything. Yeah, well, maybe that's why, because she was so... Yeah. She had to go figure everything out for herself. She did. And then she was like, not going to do that for my kids. My yeah. kids are going to know what's what. <laughs> so, you know, she she ended up with these, like, demons on her back because of that. Mm-hmm. And... You know, so by the time I was 13, like, I knew what all of it was. Smoking crack, snorting coke, shooting heroin, freebasing heroin. I knew all, what all of those things were when I was, like, 13-year-old kid. <laughs> Which is probably pretty uncommon. Right? And so when I, you know, went into construction at 18, you know, with all these grown-ass men, a bunch of them drug addicts, I used to get offered cocaine all the time. Yeah, fuck. And crack and whatever, man. Like, construction was a fucking, was hardcore when I got into it. Your mom's education literally saved you. Possibly. Possibly. Right? Because it could be partly my personality to just be like... Because another part of that is just like... Can you, how do I put this? It's like, well, that was probably from her teachings too. It's like the capability to see the state of someone's life just by talking to them for like 20 minutes and being like, I don't want to follow your decisions. (laughs) And so if you're doing cocaine, I don't want any part of what you're doing. So there's that side of it right Mm -hmm. like there's nothing alluring about a 45 year old cocaine addict on a construction site right like that's not rock and roll (laughs) that's fucking depressing right so that's to be fair that's what i saw and i'm like why the fuck would i want to do that Mm -hmm. you know 
getting offered like coke and crack from these people that were in and out of jail fucking divorced kids that didn't give a shit about them wanted nothing to do with them like why would you want to do drugs with those people like you don't you don't yeah right and so it's a bit of a different situation whereas you know like when my mom was a kid like when she was like 16 it was like the older cool kids had the drugs or whatever so it's a different perspective from that side of it as well Mm. you know but also it's like yeah when you're yeah when you're younger it's like they're interesting and cool just everyone's just getting into it yeah. What you saw was like somebody that's been into drugs for probably at least 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and I could probably see that because I, like my mom used to have those conversations with me. Like, this is where your life could end up if you do these things. Mm-hmm. Right. And also w- w- she had a respect for her, like, I'm going to make my own choices. She respected that. She always had a re- deep respect for people's personalities and it's you know there's this harsh realization that when you have kids it's like if they wanted to they could be heroin addicts that could be their choice Mm -hmm. they could live that life and if they choose to do that there's nothing you can do about it but it's like what are the odds that they're going to do that if you're there for them. Yeah, very small. Like, and just tell them the truth. Probably a lot less. That's what I think, anyway. And I just think so much of my mom's pain just, like, stemmed from... Lies. Mm. And... I don't know, maybe, like, I don't necessarily think the church is trying to lie, but just they've got some things wrong. So, I don't know, I don't know. But that's where it started for her anyway. That's where it started when she was a kid. Yeah. And she told me that, right? It's like nobody... Nobody taught her safe sex. Nobody taught her anything about drugs. You know, and when you're 16, like, you're curious about these things and you want to explore yourself. You're going to go figure it out. You're going to figure it out, man. You're going to go somewhere and you're going to try to do these things. So you need the knowledge because you're going to fucking do it anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, but anyway, you know, that's where it started for her. And, you know, eventually that became, in her mind, a disease. And that's the weird thing about being an alcoholic is, like, it. being an addict becomes a disease, right? Yeah. becomes. It, it does. And whatever, I, maybe that's not the right term. I don't really care. It is used, but, <laughs> like, that's what you see. Like, the body needs those drugs. And, you know, it's one of the reasons you'll see um, compulsive lying in alcoholics. Mm -hmm. Because everything 
they do is geared to having a drink. They just need to go, yeah. And it's really sad, you know, to see... You know, my mom, when I was a kid, it was she was all about being honest. And then when I was in my 20s, like, everything... Everything was... I mean, she was full of lies. You know? And she hated everyone. Which is such a strange thing, because when I was a kid... She loved everyone. Yeah, what a crazy dichotomy. Right? Over time. Like, she taught me to accept people for who they were and judge them on the merits of their actions within your life. You know? Like, you don't prejudge someone based on their their gender or their race or their sexual preferences or their age or whatever the fuck. Mm-hmm. You judge them on the way that they treat you, and that's it, right? And that then, might have come from a religious childhood. Yeah, right? probably. Like, I mean, that's a religious the, teaching. That's one of the constructive, beautiful things that comes from religion, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Well, these days, anyway. Yeah. Right? Because religion used to be used to say, like, these are the people you accept. Yeah, okay. These are the people we're going to These murder. Days. <laughs> yeah. For sure. So anyway, we're well over an hour. Let's call it quits for tonight. That was a pretty good one. Bye. Bye bye. <laughs>